Hi, welcome to Wired Souls, where we discuss about the intersection between art and tech. My name is Miguel, musician, and also have a big passion for communication and tech. My colleague Joe, entrepreneur in the tech industry and ex-venture capitalist. And finally, Fel, digital artist and mad hacker scientist. We're here to guide you through the ever-changing waves of how creators make amazing art through technology. Without further ado, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the third edition of the Wired Souls pod. Um, for this one, Miguel won't be with us. It will be just Fel and I. Uh, Miguel actually went on a week of vacation. He is in the woods. Uh, so he's doing a rundown of a bunch of national park out here in Montreal, Quebec. Uh, and he's going to record his own album. Uh, so it's a project he's been thinking about for a while. Uh, he's going to do, I think, one song per park. I'm not too sure. And yeah, we need to ask him when he comes back. But uh, very excited for him. Very happy for him. Uh, he's an amazing singer uh, and he's doing it. So very happy. Um, so this this week is going to be Fel and I. Uh, we're going to try to keep it entertaining, although we know it's not the same without Miguel. <laughs> um, our topics for today. Uh, so the tech of the week is going to be Dragon, uh, which is a super exciting open source tool. Uh, we're going to chat about that. Uh, then we're going to discuss about an artist that we really like. Don't want to spoil it too much, but uh, I think one of the most talented AI artist out there. Uh, most definitely, I really love his style. I think he's amazing. And then we're going to talk about Facebook. Uh, so a bunch of stuff going on uh, with Facebook uh, around, obviously, generative AI that they want to bring in all their tools. So we're going to talk about that. Then uh, the Apple Vision Pro has been released. So Zuckerberg has some thoughts on that. We're going to cover it as well. And then uh, we're going to discuss about the Twitter competitor that Facebook is kind of putting together. So, uh, you know, quite some topics to cover at the Facebook level. It's always nice to, you know, whether you, you like or hate the platform to chat a little bit about Facebook. A quick note to thank our sponsor, Bloom, for making this show possible. Bloom is building a social commerce app that allows leading creators to design any products they want using a proprietary GenAI powered tool. Designs that get the most traction on the app are sent to Prod in a highly vetted network of more than a thousand manufacturers working with brands like Nike, LVMH, Gucci, and Ralph Lauren. Bloom believes that creators, influencers, and artists should not merely be passive endorsers of other companies' products, but instead active collaborators in the product development process. Social commerce has lost its authenticity, and Bloom's mission is to bring it back by allowing creators to make real money along the way. Bloom is a venture capital-backed business supported by some of the world's best investors, having backed companies like Facebook, Etsy, Slack, and Dropbox. If you are a creator and have ideas of unique products you want to bring to life, reach out to the Bloom team on their Instagram page at letsbloom underscore art and help them build a future where tomorrow's largest brands are built by creators, not corporations. But uh, let's get started. Dragon, Phil, did you try it? Did you watch the demos? Like, I watched all the impressions? demos. I really want to try it, but I think it's a... It's a super interesting one. I'm just curious about like if it's, if it's actually gonna bring back again as like a very serious competitor for like all the the generative model. I think like I'm, I was talking to Justine actually about that, and I'm actually not sure if you can do something similar with this diffusion models. So yeah, I'm, I'm super interested to see where where that goes. And I think it's gonna be released in this month, right? The code? Yeah, uh, the code is gonna be released in June, and and. 
two pieces of context for our listeners. Uh, the first one is Justine is our CTO at Bloom. Uh, so Justine has a very deep background in AI. She's way more knowledgeable, at least technically, than us on, on those topics. And uh, so Phil was doing kind of a Q&A with her on that. <laughs> and to get back to a topic we actually covered last week, but uh, GANs are actually generative adversarial networks. They're always, you know, often compared to diffusion models, which are, you know, two the two most popular types of models uh, for generative images. GAN were like the, the, the first one to actually come out. I think uh, diffusion models are the... The, the, the more recent ones. Yeah. So yeah, uh, again, yeah. I'm excited to see if Gans make a comeback in the They make a the comeback. Yeah, they were kind of introduced in 2014 uh, and for people to understand, we actually dove into the difference between Gans and diffusion models technically, but uh, kind of a reminder, the way Gans work uh, is they actually have two models, one generator and one discriminator. The generator is making images. The discriminator is actually trying to say if the image is true or false. And so they have this ping pong game where new images are generated until the discriminator is actually fooled by the generator. Uh, so that's how GAN model work. Some downfall, uh, some downsides, uh, which we discussed last time, is they are you know more energy intensive. And sometimes you might uh, have model collapse, which is basically a loop uh, in which you can't improve your image. Uh, and then diffusion models, uh, made more popular by stable diffusion. Uh, actually, stable diffusion and diffusion models are the tech used in the previous tech we introduced in our last podcast, which was Invoke AI. Uh, but anyway, the way they work is uh, they try to create, you know, the next pixel, you know, pixel after pixel until you have kind of a full image. All right, so getting back to Dragon, what it is, how it works, uh, and why creators should care. Uh, so first of all, go watch the demos. Uh, there's a ton of them. They're just absolutely mind-blowing. Phil, do you want to tell a little bit to the user about what you can do with this yeah, tech, yeah. what it does? And well, I think a fun way to, to put it is uh, GAN actually turns your image into like Play-Doh. So you can actually like drag any part of the image and that allows you to actually like uh, edit and be super precise about the pose, the shape, and the the expression or even the layout of it. Of the image that you you have in the the editor, and yeah, it's just a super cool way to play with a two D image. I feel like it's a, you know, it's it, it gets super precise, and I feel it's super useful in the the, the towards the end of a, a pipeline. Let's say you have like a super cool image of like a a model in a studio wearing a super cool piece of a of a, of, a, of fashion. Then you can just you know adjust the arm, just adjust the expression. I, I see like a super useful use case for. For this uh, this tool yeah i agree i agree it's really like something that comes up at the end of the pipeline so you're a creator yeah. you've built like a sick image or you know nice render uh and then you want to finalize like a few details whether mm -hmm. it's like the shape the yeah. pause the expression even the layout uh it's a great kind of it, i think it's one of the most powerful editing tool uh, that yeah. people can have on there yeah i was curious that's what i was talking about to justine i was curious if you could just like yeah, generate an image in mid journey or any other diffusion models and bring it to Dragon and just start uh, modifying it. And I'm pretty sure it's doable. You just need to, uh, I think, vectorize the image and you actually need to train the model on it uh, first, but then you're actually able to to use it and to to, to do the fine tuning with it, which is super cool. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And as Fel said, the code is going to be released in June, so it's super cool. Once again, uh, open source tools kind of being promoted <laughs> by crazy. the Wired Souls podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um this uh, model uh, or this 
yeah, this project has been developed by folks at the Mark Planck Institute of Informatics. Uh, one researcher there specifically is dropping new research papers on generative AI. I mean, every few weeks, it's actually crazy. I think uh, his name is Xingang Pan. Uh, and I see his name on so many pieces that are floating around. Uh, so one to watch out for. I think I'm going to subscribe you know, to this guy <laughs> every time he launches something. And it's been developed by them with, and folks from MIT, UPenn, and Google. Uh, so quite a big lineup of people and a pretty cool lineup of people behind that. Um, the way I see it is there's more and more open source alternatives to you know paid stuff like Firefly from Adobe. Uh, and this is actually a trend that uh, many VCs have been talking about, which is you're kind of in the space of generative AI backing companies and projects. And then a few weeks later, something fully open source kind of comes out doing basically the same thing yeah. or even better. And then it's moving very fast. Uh, so I, I really like this kind of culture of open sourcing everything and, mm -hmm. and sharing those you think that's a Do you think that's a threat to, to SaaS products or even like a more precisely in the, 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 the art field? or Yeah, I, I think it is um, in two ways. So first, uh, with like open source tools, they obviously provide an alternative to the paid option. But most of the time, you know, big companies, they will not use, you know, the open source tool just because it's, it's very rough. Uh, those are, you know, academic paper driven. If you look at the code in there, it's like super, it's, it's super messy. It doesn't have like the security as well uh, parameters that some of these big enterprises want. So usually you do have open source tools. Some people are going to use the open source alternative versus like the paid one. Uh, but usually those are like more tech savvy people. Um, but then what open source tools enables is company to leverage this research and actually package it into a new competitive product to the existing kind of SaaS solution. Um, so it it's as if, Yeah, it's as if everyone had like 50% of the work kind of already done in the background and then could start from that and build upon it. So it creates, you know, I guess more choices for buyers, which is great, but more competition among like SaaS solution providers leveraging those those tools. Anyhow, uh, getting back to Dragon and why creators should care. Uh, one of the very interesting thing with that tool, uh, and when you read the paper, is that they said they basically tried to optimize for three things. Flexibility, precision, and generality. The very important piece to me, obviously precision is important, flexibility to be able to do many different things, but generality is really the big thing. When it comes to editing an image uh, in a very flexible way, the previous types of models that were used tended to be super narrowed use case, you know, trained and trained and trained and trained on like a very specific set of images. Um, and what they wanted to achieve with Dragon was super flexibility uh, in that people can actually uh, use any type of image and then move it without the final render being wrong or biased. So you can move the head of a lion, you can make a human's face uh, smile, You can take a short sleeve T-shirt and make it a long sleeve T-shirt, turn the, the model, you know, 180 degrees and always have a final render that is um, truth looking, that, that works. And it's crazy. Some of these demos, you can actually take someone with arms bent 
and you know <laughs> extend the arm yeah. it's going to be like normal length it's going to work well i mean i think those are it is probably the most impressive demo i've seen yeah right, it really feels world. like like play-doh i feel like it the a tool like that makes it like abstraction of the the technicalities of how you create an image like i feel like anyone could just you know start like a pulling strings and like creating an image out of that it's very impressive and even for um, you know movies and stuff like that like i, I think there's going to be so many use cases that could be applied. i've seen some cool uh, in the demo you can see one uh, about like a, a microscope uh, it's a it's like a a little cell and in motion graphics i think there's a lot of, of use case for like documentary style shootings yeah. where you can see the animation of the cell growing and The, the result looked super nice. I'm not sure like how physically accurate it is, but the animation really looks cool. It, it looks really super, super good. And the next next piece uh, that they're going after is 3D. Uh, so they're kind of working yeah, on Yeah, there that. wasn't any detail about that. They just dropped it at the end of the, the paper. Yeah. So as a 3D artist, Phil, <laughs> what do you think about this? I, I, I don't even know how it would work. Like, uh, you know, in 3D, where there's modeling and you can do like a some organic stuff where you actually have a brush and you, you can pull on the, the 3D model. So it feels somewhat similar, but I'm not sure how you bring Dragon. Uh, I have no idea how they're going to do it. Like for me, it it, it feels like it's a, it's really for 2D images. And yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm curious what they're going to do for, for 3D models. Maybe, maybe it's, maybe a, it's the 2D to 3D conversion. And then from the 3D, you can kind of actually move stuff. Or maybe you interact with the 2D. And in real time, it, it does the 3D mm. thing. Maybe that's that's thing, and that's actually well, <laughs> well, well. Stay uh, on top of it. Anyway, we're super excited for the code uh, to be released because uh, for our own company purpose at Bloom, um, we we need to stay on top of that. All right, moving on to the second segment, uh, which is a super exciting one. Uh, my personal favorite every time is when we chat about an artist that we like think is pushing art forward using tech which is kind of the focus of this pod uh, and so the one we're going to be talking about today is Elmo Mistian uh, a Brussels based digital artist um, this artist is actually still a student uh, doing his master's degree uh, in engineering business engineering in business engineering and um, and yeah let's let's talk about it Phil Just like art appreciation, looking at his Instagram page, yeah. the art he's done, what's your expert digital artist take? <laughs> well, I think the AI really shines in, in his work, in the like the, the, the form and how he mixes, uh, like, uh, well, there's an, a lot of animal shapes uh, in his design. And yeah, they're just like, they're, they're brought together in like, a, I know he's, he's, a, he's exploring gorb core and the outdoor fashion trends, and he really mixes them well together. And for me, it's a, it creates a super fresh result, you know, with the, with high fashion stuff like that's super, as we say in Montreal, it's super fly. It's like, it's super <laughs> out there. <laughs> so yeah, I really like it. I really like the look of it. And um, that's once again a case where some people say, and I'm, I'm coming back to that point, you know, from pod to pod, but some people say, you know, Being an artist using AI, it's not really your art. But when you look at the library of, of this artist, it is obvious that there's a continuity between yeah. each image. Like there's a style, there's a fingerprint on top yeah, of that. Yeah, and there's a lot of thought behind the, the actual prompts. Lots of thoughts. You, you mentioned like a prompt biases, and I feel like it's a good example of someone really pushing the boundaries and really figuring 
the, the, the kinks of, of AI prompting. And uh, yeah, like you mentioned, prompt biases, like if you use a, a super cool example is you mentioned, if you use Antarctica in your in your your prompt, it's going to give you like a, it, there's good chances it's going to give you a good result with good clear lighting just because of the, the actual bias towards the data set that's, that, that the model is trained on. So yeah, I just feel like it's it's super interesting to they're like recipes, but if you use like a word that doesn't really relate to what you're trying to make, just because of if you understand the data set that's behind, that's that, that's really cool. There's like a meta consideration. It's like <laughs> you could ask the model to do more lighting, or you can say yeah, yeah. the word Antarctica, and because the database of pictures with Antarctica are lighting heavy. There's going to be more like that's that was super cool. I also liked when you said and, and uh, folks, by the way, if you want to learn more about this artist, there's actually a very cool interview he's done uh, on the uh, Red Eye uh, website. Uh, so so go and check it out. We were kind of referring to pieces he said in that interview. One of the, the cool thing he said is you can have the exact same prompt with a male character and then just have a female character instead. You just change male for female. And the render is going to be completely different. I think that's interesting in the in the perspective of bias. And just it goes off to show um, that obviously pictures of women and pictures of men, the bank is going to be, you know, the, the library is going to be taking in different contexts. It's going to change everything. Uh, the pool, the, the reference pool is just not the same. Uh, so we know that intuitively it makes, you know, total sense. But it's kind of interesting to see. Uh, I think there could be some very interesting um, anthropological studies that could be made yeah. with that. Just like the difference. This is male, this is female. <laughs> and then you extrapolate that like a hundred times. Damn. And then you see, you know, what are the main biases that comes out of it? <laughs> I, I, I think that could be, honestly, a master's degree thesis. It would make a really good paper for sure. It would make a very good paper, like on the art angle, but also on the like uh, societal understanding of mm-hmm. where where those biases kind of lie. Um, uh, yeah, and maybe uh, from from model to model and oh, depending from on the model to model, yeah. who's who's the most uh, <laughs> discriminating yeah. model? And oh, maybe like how the images were created. I know Photoshop is is using uh, only uh, Adobe Stock, and you know, when you contribute to Adobe Stock, you actually have the intention of your image being used in, in that context. And maybe that, that changes a lot. You know, if you if you actually uh, you want to contribute to these image banks, you're not going to create the, the image the same way. And these stock images are actually, there's a, not a vibe to it, but they're, they're super uh, intentional in what they describe. You know, if you if you search for like uh, angry, there's, it's going to be one guy be, or one woman being angry in, the, in a very simple image. I feel like it, it might have a big impact on the, the final result. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Actually, you could expand that <laughs> <laughs> so much. You do you do it by country, um, like yeah. on data sets yeah. for each country. You do it uh, by decade um, to yeah. see how it evolves. You do it <laughs> by race because those are uh, you know our digital memories. Yeah, uh, yeah, kind of where these models are trained on. Actually, super random question fell, but I was asking it uh, to myself: was if if planet Earth blows up, uh, I love these. Do we have do we have the you know 
entire internet saved somewhere like on the moon or mars i, I I'm, i'm kind of diverging away but i just i was just thinking about it like if there's like a huge like nuclear accident in here yeah will we have left like any fingerprint of everything somewhere like i'm not sure i'm not i'm not too sure but we're gonna check it up we're gonna check yeah, it yeah. up and next week next week we're gonna come back with an answer <laughs> yeah, sure. because i think that's super important to have like our memories saved in a interplanetary type of way and if it's not something that exists we need to write a blog post on it yeah but for sure elon is on it for sure for sure he's on it for sure he's on it, it needs <laughs> to exist. but anyway i'm gonna dive, dive into it uh because it's an important one okay getting back to the artist uh and to elmo's art Uh, so as Fel was saying, it's like, um, you know, biomorphic, outdoor fashion, uh, some weird designs, but in a very artsy way. Um, the artist has multiple pages. Uh, and yeah, that's a very important point to make. So he's behind AIDesign.png, which is a page with like you know, tons of amazing art, a huge following. But you can also see on that page links to his home uh, personal page, which is at elmo.bcn. And obviously I'm talking about Instagram there. Uh, and then we really encourage you to go check up. It's his biomorphic jewelry. Uh, so he's doing his own jewelry. It looks absolutely amazing. You can purchase it on myosisdesign.com um, and go encourage this artist. I mean, this is someone really pushing art forward. He already has products out there that people can purchase. And uh, it's definitely worth a look. Uh, if you like it, uh, go ahead, go ahead and buy it. One cool thing with this artist um, is that beyond designs and digital art, uh, he's actually quite excited about turning this inspiration into physical product and, and bringing, that, bringing them to life in physical form, which is, again, exactly what we do at Bloom. Uh, and so I'm very excited about the prospects of, you know, one day potentially working with him. Uh, There's so many cool things to do. Um, outerwear uh, and fashion are getting brought up together uh, in such an interesting way and such a fast way. You know, Athleisure was like that like a few years ago. And I think this trend uh, is, is only just getting started. Like Gorbcore is going to keep on rising so fast. <laughs> I think it's one of the fashion segments that is going yeah. to grow the fastest. Uh, Even in the, well, anywhere, but in the sneaker game, uh, I noticed like all the running shoes are getting super hyped up. Salomon, like yeah, you know, yeah. it's hiking stuff. It's hiking yeah, stuff yeah. now that is getting put forward on, on, on the fashion centric fashion. I think is Elmo is really at the nice, good gesture of junction of tech. Outwear and fashion kind of all intersecting. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I really think there's something unique kind of going on there. But anyway, uh, go check it up. Uh, it's an artist that we really liked, both Phil and I. It's actually as we were kind of researching this entire AI fashion slash consumer movement, uh, Elmo is one of the first artists we discovered. Uh, it's the one that we've probably shared the most internally saying, yeah. look at these designs or, or how sick they are. Yeah. And, you know, sharing internally, meaning, you know, from us, the kind of, uh, I would say, creative growth team to the dev team and the data scientists. And everyone was kind of blown away. Uh, it really looks cool. Last piece I would say, and then Phil, sorry, uh, I'll let you go, sorry, if you have like uh, oh, something good. to add. But uh, one thing I liked as well with like Elmo's profile was he's doing his own stuff, like, own 
you know, art inspired stuff. But I, I saw a few pieces, you know, one with, with Nike and just like this concept of collaborations. Uh, something that... In has, the butterfly? Yeah, in the butterfly that has been thrown around, which I felt was, was really cool. Man, I can't stop looking. I don't know. There's something <laughs> like you just want to touch like the puffiness. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the volume and the textures. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the textile is super good. And I yeah. think you mentioned it's one of the starting point where when you prompts usually uses some some type of fabrics and in the prompt and that usually gives good result with the, with dolly it's so nice it's it's so crazy nice yeah also he he's super into eye fashion stuff and i'm actually super curious to what if we can you know with bloom donate donate down and what sort of products could be more geared towards like the more consumer market than high fashion the more accessible stuff that's that's a super good question. I think, um, obviously, for the audience, uh, Bloom is our sponsor for this pod. This is where Fel and I work. Uh, the goal is to enable artists to bring to life, you know, amazing art, digital art in physical form and their, you know, physical products. Uh, and our entire model is to let the creators decide, you know, what they want to build and just move away from this sponsored advertising and, 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 and that we've seen in the kind of influencer economy and just, you know, brands asking creators to do very specific thing and instead, you know, really let the creators go wild with their imagination. And, and on our end, we have like a very big network of manufacturers, you know, more than a thousand of them that can bring these products to life under the best, you know, time, cost and, and all these things. Uh, and so I agree with your point. I'm always myself more on the side of, Let's make things affordable for people. Uh, let's find this exact point where we have something unique, art forward, premium quality products, but that the mass market can actually kind of offer itself because uh, we can really go wild with an artist like <laughs> like Elmo. <laughs> I mean, we could have pieces at 5,000 a piece, like for sure. <laughs> so we need, we need to see. But at in the end of the day, it's, it's his decision to make uh, if, we, if we actually end up like collaborating together. Uh, okay, cool, cool, cool. Well, this was a very great artist that we just put forward. This is some real alpha. You should check it up. El Elmo <laughs> is great. Uh, all right. And then wrapping up the pod with uh, some news. Um, Facebook, Facebook, um, just perhaps some context, and I, I should really call it Meta. Um, <laughs> <All right. laughs> now, because I'm not talking only about the app, right? I'm talking about the entire kind of uh, company. So um, Meta has been, as you all know, spending a lot in its reality labs, which is the division where everything Metaverse sits but also the division where lots of the AI efforts actually sit. And although you might have seen, you know, a lot of the media bashing around Facebook, throwing billions in tens of billions of dollars in the metaverse, uh, this is true. They've been spending a lot, you know, for those initiatives, but a lot of it was also going to AI uh, initiative, or at least part of the AI efforts that sit into that kind of group. Uh, and so Facebook said uh, in a statement that they are going to be rolling out generative AI features to all their products, meaning Facebook, Instagram, Messenger, WhatsApp. It's crazy. I'm listing them. They, they really have like... They have a lot. Yeah. They have a lot. <laughs> uh, and so the first things that are going to be made available uh, are actually custom emojis. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a starting point where basically people can write a prompt and then have like an emoji coming out of it. But then eventually... Uh, you're gonna be you're gonna have like 
picture editing tool. So if you want to change like the ratio of your picture or just, you know, you don't like your your eyes are closed or you want to make your smile wider or anything like that. So uh, they're going to have chatbots embedded into Messenger and WhatsApp. That's going to be interesting. So um, they're really, really going to leverage all that knowledge that they have from your stupid conversations with your <laughs> friend. Uh, but anyway, they're going to be rolling all of this. I don't know, Phil, what's what's your take on Facebook running Gen AI features to all their products? I think it was always going to happen. Uh, I think distribution is what makes the difference. Uh, they have users already using their products. So day one, they roll out something that have millions of users kind of on it. Um, do you think it has an impact on startups? Uh, do you think it's a good thing or not to be able to really change your pictures easily in app? What are your immediate kind of thoughts from it? A quick note to thank our sponsor, Bloom, for making this show possible. Bloom is building a social commerce app that allows leading creators to design any products they want using a proprietary Gen AI powered tool. Designs that get the most traction on the app are sent to Prod in a highly vetted network of more than a thousand manufacturers working with brands like Nike, LVMH, Gucci, and Ralph Lauren. Bloom believes that creators, influencers, and artists should not merely be passive endorsers of other companies' products, but instead active collaborators in the product development process. Social commerce has lost its authenticity, and Bloom's mission is to bring it back by allowing creators to make real money along the way. Bloom is a venture capital-backed business supported by some of the world's best investors, having backed companies like Facebook, Etsy, Slack, and Dropbox. If you're a creator and have ideas of unique products you want to bring to life, reach out to the Bloom team on their Instagram page at letsbloom underscore art and help them build a future where tomorrow's largest brands are built by creators, not corporations. I think it's great because, you know, like the majority of people don't use like Photoshop or Lightroom to edit their stuff. They use like the, 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 the Instagram app to modify it on the fly and you know, I could see if I, I could see myself sending like a picture to my mom and, you know, playfully just changing stuff just for fun. Even like, a, you know, sending memes, it might become, it might, it might be different in a, in a, when that rolls out. You know, if I just want to, you know, play a joke on my friend, I might build the meme on the fly, like directly. Built That's in the good, DM. Man. There's so many things that I was actually trying to imagine myself when I first, uh, you know, was on Facebook a few years ago, quite a few years ago. I was in, in primary primary school. Primary school? Yeah, yeah. I was trying to, to imagine how I would be using these AI, AI tools back then. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe I would have made like a, just a bunch of super cool emojis and still have them around today. <laughs> I was actually also curious about how long it would take for, for Earth to generate like yeah, too many emojis. I'm not sure you can actually generate like an infinite amount of emojis. Like there's only of course so, you can. Of well, there's only can. there was only so many emotions that you want to portray. Look, fail, 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 fail. <laughs> okay, okay. It depends on how you define emoji. Do you, does I'm trying to to I'm defining emojis as someone something that's easy easy easier expressed to our, uh, with emojis. Like uh, emojis is is simpler than words to to express a okay, certain okay, feeling. Okay, yes, yes, yes. So you know, two smiling emoji with you know one pixel difference between the two that doesn't fit within your description. You're not saying there's not a okay, perfect. Uh, okay, so first of all, there is not an infinite numbers of emojis you can generate because if you st well, it depends on the size of the pixel, I guess. But <laughs> yeah, if you start with like 
a thousand pixels, you can only yeah, that's a good point, yeah. up to a certain point. If there's yeah. a resolution, for sure, there's, there might be more variations, but uh, only so many emotions. Only so many emotions. Only so many emotions. Although some... Not s- sure. Some, some are deep and complex. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm curious about the audience too. Like, uh, what's your relationship with emojis? Uh, I see a lot of, of people like not liking emojis. Like some... Well, one of my friends actually gets annoyed when I use the, the sunglasses emoji because I use that a lot. <laughs> you use it a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's true. I really but like emojis in general. I, I use I, them a lot. I, I really like emojis as well. Uh, I It saves so much time. Yeah, yeah. You know, they say uh, an image is worth a thousand words. <laughs> yeah. I think an emoji is yeah. pretty much that. Uh, but anyway, so on the emoji side, it's cool. I think it's you, you've made a ver- two very interesting points. So first one that you've made uh, is uh, around the fact that Modifying picture is something that anyone can do today, but you need to have the skill set to do it. So Photoshop. Uh, and so the debate is not whether modifying your own profile picture is good or bad because people could already do it. It's is it good to democratize like this, this thing to everyone? And I agree. It's great. I think it's amazing. Uh, I think it's a super cool feature to be rolled out and it's going to be. Yeah, I can think about a lot of pictures that were almost perfect and then you know, you could have changed the detail and then it would have been perfect. So that's that's fine. That's very cool. Then the emoji side, I love, I love your philosophical, uh, philosophical discussion on emoji. I think emojis are great. <laughs> um, even with reels, I mean, I could see myself you know, throwing your face on a Beetlejuice <laughs> meme. That would, that be funny. would be amazing. That would be so funny. It would funny. be a good joke. Yeah. yeah, that would be a good joke. If you can like put up your friends' faces on top yeah. of like popular memes. But I'm sure it's going to actually look like that. Right now, if you want to do a meme, you do. You go on a, a meme builder online. It, it's a few steps. It's still quite easy, but it's not built in into the, it's not built into the app itself. Customization, uh, no personalization to a whole other level. Yeah, yeah. So AI is going to revolutionize meme, your, meme production. You can ask, you can <laughs> ask Instagram to put your dumbest friend face <laughs> on all the reels that you see. <laughs> and so every time there's a stupid reel, yeah. it's with your friend's face. Yeah. I mean, I would pay 50 bucks a month for that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to cost so much, so much computing power, man. Yeah, but it's worth it. <laughs> it's worth I hope it. so. I hope so. <laughs> Okay. Um, now I think it's great that Facebook is rolling out, out of this. Okay, now talking about the um, Apple provision that just came out, so the headset. Uh, by the way, for people to know, Phil and I are huge Metaverse geeks. <laughs> we, <laughs> spend, we spend quite a bit we of time in the Metaverse. Of time, uh, probably the two biggest <laughs> Metaverse geeks you've ever seen. Uh, so what do you think about the headset? What are your kind of immediate reactions? Uh, for for the, the Apple Pro... Uh, Vision, it, it looks like super iron for sure. And Zuckerberg made a good point that in all the, the demos, like it's people alone on, on their couch. And it it made me think also about like the actual Meta's, uh, Meta's vision and mission about like the, their, their, well, their vision of the, the metaverse like being super different from Apple, like from the, the get-go. And I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they really diverge into like two different Feels be, uh, Apple being like the the, the most expensive or the, the more expensive headset, and Meta being more geared towards like a, the consumer market at five hundred bucks, I think. Sometimes two hundred. Two hundred for the Sometimes, headset. Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Uh, how, uh, yeah I've seen that somewhere that they have like their cheapest uh, version of like the uh, Oculus. I don't know which one, but I saw. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, that's interesting. Maybe made, maybe resale value. Or yeah. Something. So maybe Meta is going more for the the masses for everyone, and the the Apple, not surprisingly, goes for the super high and high end experience. So um, a few things in there. I obviously think like the uh, narrative uh, for Facebook to say that they are obviously going for something much more social and is suiting. Uh, like obviously they would say that, uh, yeah. you know, Apple, you can say, you know, whatever you want that the Oculus is like more geared towards social use case. At the end of the day, when you have like vision flow through, like, like the vision pro has, you can interact with folks in the metaverse, but in real life as well, like there's a really social dimension to that. It's true that people were alone and sitting. There's a few reasons for that. Like you didn't really see it in the demo, but you need to have it plug on the battery that you know fits in your yeah. in your pocket. So that's like a big difference to make the whole thing lighter. Um, you know, people have been saying Apple they always wait too long before releasing product, uh, and you know when they do it's always great, but they, it takes a while. And and now they've tried to release kind of earlier, which is which is good. Um, few few thoughts on on, on my end. First one is, well, it's expensive, as you've said, but I think it's expensive for a reason. I think when it comes to headsets, the trade-offs you need to make to shave off a $1,000 from your end product are huge on a technical level. So you start with a, let's go with 500, with an headset at the meta level, that's like 500 bucks. Then if you move that to 1,500, uh, yeah, 1,500 headset, you can do a lot more. And then you move that to 2,500 and then you can do a lot more. And then you move that to... So the most exciting thing around the Apple Vision Pro for me was the... uh, the way you can actually really interact seamlessly with the interface with your hands-free kind of mode. Uh, it seemed to work really well. Yeah. And I've watched in interviews of people saying it works really well. I mean, with my Oculus, like the most annoying part is always like using yeah, the, I agree. the controllers. Same for me. Uh, so that's great. But can you do it at 2,500? Can you do it, do it at 1,000? Maybe not for now. Maybe that, that's what they did. You know, they just told, if you want to reach the experience we are aiming for right now is going to cost 3500 but maybe it's not going to be the case in, in four years. And yeah, but you know, that's my point. It's the time it's going to take because <laughs> those marginal improvement on the, you know, really on the edges of the tech, I mean, AI is advancing every week. Mm-hmm. VR is advancing every five years. Like some of these problems people have been tackling for a very long time and it's very hard to, you know, get those steps improvement in the end user experience without doing like major trade-offs, whether it's battery, whether it's capabilities, whether it's price points, like it's, this is a very hard, like engineering challenge. Uh, and so my, my, my point is this looks great, but it's obviously too expensive for the masses. Mm-hmm. Um, can it look great at a, at an accessible price point? Potentially, but the question is when. Uh, I don't think we have kind of that answer. Facebook said and Zuckerberg said when they released, you know, the Apple Vision Pro internally that he was actually pleased because they didn't do any technical breakthrough that they haven't made. 
they just made different product decisions, you know, going to the kind of higher end. So I think it's interesting to see the product, to see that Apple is moving fast. I don't think that the conclusion is VR is right around the corner for uh, masses. That's my conclusion. My conclusion is a glimpse into the future at a very high price point, but still a very long way to go before, you know, mass market adoption of a very kind of a seamless type of experience. Some obvious trade-off, like the cord with the battery in your pocket. I mean, that's annoying. Uh, is it crazy annoying? I don't know. Like the form factor, I'm really not sure you know, what's going to stick with people. I actually think there's logic into that where, you know, people always complain about the weight. Yeah. So having something lighter on your face is... There's a big part into the the immersiveness of the thing, I think. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Cool. And then last piece, very quickly, uh, but Facebook, you know, we've seen images of their uh, Twitter competitor, Point92. Um, very interesting to see uh, that they are going for a new app, a new file format. To me, it makes total sense that they're actually building it. I don't think they could have bought anyone else. I don't see any other name anyway that would have been interesting. Um but, uh, you know, with uh, like uh, regulatory oversight and the fact that they've acquired so much, they're basically barred from like acquiring other social apps, especially of scale, especially in a new kind of format, because then they would own like direct messaging, you know, images sharing uh, and then, you know, text based kind of social platforms. Um, I've seen the, the, the mock-up and it looks exactly the same as Twitter. <laughs> I mean, this is Twitter yeah. all over again. There's so many Twitter copycats, even on the Web3 side, like, you know, Farcaster. I mean, those things, they're, they're, they don't have to think too far when it comes to UI design. Uh, the angle that Meta is taking is kind of twofold. First, they're saying Twitter is ill-managed. It's, bad, it's badly managed by Elon uh, he's not focusing at the right place. He has like a tough relationship with advertisers and things like that. And then they're saying we're gonna have you know some very good creators come up on our app, and it's gonna drive you know usage and uh, almost like the strategy that TikTok has been kind of using with Lemonade, um, Lemon Six or Lemon Eight. I don't know. Anyway, it's their uh, it's their new app in the US that they're rolling out oh, well. uh, because they're they're. They probably have to shut down TikTok US, so they're actually moving people to there. Anyway, um, so I think it's interesting. Let's see how it unfolds. Uh, I must say I'm a fan of uh, Elon at Twitter. (laughs) Uh, Just because the platform is getting more centered on free speech, I guess that's the only thing for me. Uh, There are some uh, very compromising things that have been coming out of Twitter promoting specific type of content and then censorship, uh, you know, making some censorship yeah. on other type of content. I think a free place for free expression is good. I'm not making any like personal judgment on what's the message being communicated. Uh, but I think having voices heard uh, is important. Uh, there's a, a nice quote uh, that I've read, you know, when I was a child and it's like, I might disagree with you but i'll fight to death uh, for you to have the right to say it or something like that which right. i think is really like how how elon is kind of thinking yeah. about this whole thing i mean is i'm not advocating for elon i'm just saying <laughs> free speech on a social media platform is good i don't really have a, an opinion on that but i definitely think that uh, there's a good balance to have between censorship and free speech 
which is probably important. I don't think you're saying much. Like, what is the <laughs> yeah? Well, the good balance. <laughs> the good balance is just like a, I don't know, not allowing people to to say whatever they want and just uh, no. I think there's really like a a middle point where you have the best of both worlds. If, if it exists. But as I said, I don't really have... Uh, yeah, no, no, I yeah. see. Uh, so if that's a question that uh, answers the audience, there's actually a very good pod with Lex. Uh, I think that was like pushed like one month ago on free speech specifically uh, with a real free speech kind of solution. I'll get that uh, yeah. listen. So we'll put that in the show notes, but nice. it's, uh, it's a super interesting and one. I have a question. What do you think about the integration of uh, with ActivityPub from, uh, from Instagram? Which activation? Uh, it's they're actually building on top of the decentralized social media protocol. Ah, yeah, I saw. Same uh, as Mastodon, actually. So yeah, you can, you can yeah, actually yeah, yeah, leave yeah. with your your socials and their your information. Yeah, um, it's interesting. This is with point ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Building yeah, on top of ActivityPub. Yeah, I saw. I saw that. I, you know what? I actually had never heard like Mastodon. I did. Yeah. But Activity Pub, uh, mm-hmm. pub I had never heard. I never of them. Be, before reading that article. Uh, I'd never heard of it. I, I do think it's an interesting play from, uh, from Meta. Yeah, no, that's very cool. Like it's uh, so so for for the audience, just kind of a step back. But uh, one of the things that the app is doing, point ninety two, is uh, allowing people to move out with their followers. Uh, to another platform if they would want to. So this is like a big topic in Web3, um, just portability of social networks. You know, if when you think about it, one of the reasons why you haven't left Facebook or, you know, a similar platform like Twitter is because you've built a following. Let's take this example of Elmo. Uh, mm-hmm. He has you know hundreds of thousands of followers across his accounts on Instagram for him to restart from scratch would be like super painful on another platform, right? It's time consuming and all that kind of stuff. But if there was a way for him to port all these followers to a new platform, then the different social platforms, they don't compete on who had the network first, but who has the best user experience. So that's become the, that's the good vector of uh, competition that you want like these firms to have. Um, And obviously social graph has been a huge lock-in. And what they're saying now with Point92 is that they will enable people to go out uh, with their follower base to a new new platform. To any other app uh, that's built on ActivityPub on the same protocol. I think it's the beginning of this becoming a lot more mainstream. I, you know, Elon has obviously some, uh, you know, a sweet spot for just crypto as a whole, uh, you know, he actually <laughs> put Doge as the yeah. logo for <laughs> pumping Doge as yeah. usual. <laughs> yeah, pumping Doge. But no, but um, there's there's been some uh, message leaked uh, for, between him and and Jack Dorsey, which w- who was the founder of uh, Twitter, uh, and actually worked with Elon back in the days at PayPal. Um, so, you know, side note, but basically uh, Jack Dorsey founded a company which was like the original PayPal. They acquired, uh, was it? X.com, I, I, I think this was a company that they acquired from Elon and then Elon joined like the early team and so they were both like co-founder of PayPal. Um, and so when when Elon was considering made, making its bid for, for Twitter, he was actually exchanging texts uh, with, with Jack and those texts were made public as part of like the lawsuit when Elon tried to pull out of the deal. Uh, and he was actually super heavy on making crypto like a core piece of the backbone of the 
new Twitter, the everything <laughs> app. Uh, and so I think point 92 coming up with this is great. You know, Facebook, people need to recall, but they've been very forward with crypto compared to almost all other tech companies uh, in a few ways. So first of all, um, how was it called? Like this, they had like uh, one of the first coin that they wanted to launch, Libra. Uh, so Libra on the DM kind of network. So they were kind of working on Libra, I think back in 2018, 2018, 2019, uh, which was very much before anyone else. And actually this team uh, from from Libra, uh, they've left Facebook and they went on to create the Aptos network, uh, which is a, you know, competing layer one to like uh, Ethereum. And I'm not sure if CU, which is like the most direct competitor from for, uh, for Aptos, just in that they're targeting the same segment. So uh, faster execution. Uh, and I think similar architectures in how they are built. But anyway, I think CU as well is from ex-Facebookers. Um, so yeah, interestingly, Facebook has always been like super forward on crypto. That's the point I'm trying to make. They were you know, trying to roll out NFTs features to Instagram. I think they've posed these efforts. Uh, but seeing them kind of doing this with... Um, with point ninety two makes sense in that you know they're having another go at the tech. I mean, you need to respect that with Facebook is that when they have like when they want to do something, they they they're really not scared to go against what everyone's think. You know, Zuck has been bashed like crazy for the metaverse investments, and they're still going at it. You know, crypto they've had one, two, three failed attempts, and they are still like interested into it. Um, you, know, you can't you can't say that Zuck is not. Forward thinking. Forward thinking and just like acting with, with conviction, uh, which is, you know, something you can do when you're still a founder-led company like Facebook is compared to the other like big tech, you know, companies in the, um, yeah, in, in the space, especially in the US. And he has, you know, multiple right voting shares. So he does have like control of everything, which is, by the way, uh, side notes, it's not common in the US, multiple voting rights share, but in Quebec, where we're from, it's actually quite common. Most big companies here have those uh, type of uh, voting rights, which is very interesting. I think we're one of the only places in the world oh, really? uh, where this is the case. And I used to be an investment banker, so worked with a lot of these companies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so interesting to see when you have like founder control, even though you're like, you know, a $50 billion company. Uh Okay, I think this wraps it up. Yeah, this uh, wraps it up. This wraps it up. Uh, thanks everyone for listening for, for this third edition. Already excited for the next one. Uh, think Elmo is an amazing creator. Think Dragon is super exciting. Uh, very much looking forward for the code to be released in June. But most of all, excited to hear uh, Miguel's mixtape. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's we'll be back next week with the question of the week. If if Earth blows up, what happens to our digital heritage? Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. We're, we're gonna do it. We're gonna not digital heritage. Human heritage. Human heritage. In digital form. <laughs> In <Right>. digital form. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Take care, everyone. Ciao. Bye, everyone.